Good Thursday morning and welcome to The Daily Buzz. I'm your host, Palak J. Swall. About five weeks ago, Russian military forces invaded Ukraine. Then, politics editor Jeff Parrott reached out to Utah Congressman Blake Moore, a member of the House Armed Services and Natural Resources Committees, to talk about what the invasion meant for Ukraine and how the United States should respond. Jeff and Congressman Moore spoke again on Wednesday afternoon about the conflict and also its relation to domestic energy policy. Here's a portion of that conversation, which has been edited for time. Congressman Moore, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. So it's been about a month and a week since we talked last, and that was at the very beginning of the Russian invasion on Ukraine. I wondered if you could give us a quick update on that conflict and what the U.S.'s current role is. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture. Um, there's still a, you know, an ensuing, a battle going on. And, uh, but you have seen Ukraine put up a historic resistance to this invasion from, from Russia. Um, and it, there, 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 there does appear to be that the Russian forces have, have stalled to some degree. Uh, the, the Air Force doesn't have control of the Ukrainian skies, Russia's Air Force, that is. And they only control about 10, roughly 10% of the country. Like in, in this, in, you know, in this day and age, in the last couple last couple of years or the last 15 months, um, like there's something to celebrate here in that this is a positive message. There looks as if there's some talks going on for potential peace. And, um, you know, Russia recognizing that uh, this wasn't going to be the, you, it wasn't going to be the, um, Crimea sort of waltz in and take over type of situation. And then the Ukrainian people have, have stood their ground in a lot of ways. That's not predicting the, the outcome of this, but that is at least something to um, celebrate in the, in the near term. U.S.'s role continues to be to bolster NATO forces, uh, provide lethal aid, and um, you know, our aggressive crippling sanctions against uh, Russia's economy, hoping that we can limit their ability to wage war. I'm, uh, I'm going to turn the conversation just a little bit to something somewhat related. Let's talk about energy for a little bit. Uh, this morning, I think you introduced a bill, from what I understand it, to get the Biden administration to start um, issuing drilling and lease permits. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that bill and what it aims to do? I think this is an opportunity to, to, to see the big picture. We cannot rely on foreign dictators and, and foreign adversaries for energy needs. I mean, it's tough enough to rely on them for a certain piece of agri you know, an agricultural good. We're going to have a tough time with wheat coming out of Russia. We over rely on bad actors. The American people, I know, I know constituents that I'm working with really get like, we were a net exporter. We got to get back to that point because these gas prices have gone up so, so quick, so fast. And, you know, I've spoken out against this. It's been a, been a strong criticism from that I've had of the Biden administration since he, since day one, when he did the secretarial order and the canceling the pipeline, yeah. what, what Biden is communicating right now, there is truth. I call them half truths and you get a lot of it in politics from every angle, <laughs> but there is truth that before the, the moratorium and the ban would start, there is a gap there that there is production opportunity. That is true. What is more hidden in the communication is how difficult the permitting process is. So it's easy to go out and say, or for Jen Psaki, uh, the press secretary to come out and say, 
hey, look, there's even there's production opportunity. We're not even at full capacity yet. Again, there's a truth to that. But what what we, you're not seeing that I have a really clear view on in my role here as the uh, ranking member on oversight and investigation is that the permitting and the leasing process is so bar- bogged down and marred with just overly delayed tactics of regulation. It, it feels that President Biden's trying to get it both ways. Like, hey, we want to communicate. There's still opportunities to, but we also, we can hamstring this a little bit and we can hold back some of this. And, and that's just not going to be what the American people needs. I've been very clear. I've been talking environment. I've been talking about clean air, climate, everything. I'm not going to shy away from those conversations in this role as a, as a member of Congress, because I believe that Americans do it better. We invest in clean technology. We can be a leader in this space and but we can't limit ourselves. So the, the, the whole purpose of this piece of legislation is to hold the Department of Interior accountable after an environmental review goes on on a particular uh, lease or uh, during the permitting process, you got 30 days to get it going. That already sort of exists as, as a standard, but we need to be able to hold an enforcement mechanism to that. What What's next then? Is there a way to condense that flash to bang time on issue permitting to you know, like seeing the relief at the pump. We got to get this through um, the legislative process. And it's going to be tough when the majority controls the committee hearing and controls the ability. Given a majority situation, uh, that it will be much easier. We have subpoena power to be able to really hold this, hold it accountable. An immediate relief to the pump from my bill I'm introducing today. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to overinflate that or set that expectation. There, there will take time. If we were to do this, I'm confident we would get this going in the right direction. Getting my Democrat colleagues to, to enact this type of legislation will be, will be an uphill battle. And I lay the gauntlet down. We need to be doing this. And we're not saying, you know, this is your process. This is already existing. We need to hold it accountable. Uh, there is lots of this frustration going on in the energy industry about, well, yeah, there's a lease, but the lease doesn't do anything unless there's a permit. And these permits have got to exist in a way that we can get proper investment into this. And the moratorium really stifles anybody willing to invest. And then they go find other opportunities in other, in other countries, right? We have to get to the point where we do it better. We've got to embrace ourselves. And at that point, you know, we can help diversify our energy portfolio. It's happening within industry. That's the part that's so frustrating to me. I, I took the ranking member of uh, Natural Resources and we met with Rocky Mountain Power. Again, a local example. Yep. We met with Rocky Mountain Power and they've showed us how they're investing in renewable technology and they're lowering their emissions and, and they're really focused on this. And then they run into a NEPA regulation. And it's like the, the NEPA regulations exist to, to help the environment and that's what's keeping us from investing and doing more in renewable technology it's just it's it's absurd with the type of you know governmental inability to 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 accomplish an objective and one other quick example is like out in the una basin like this this rail project that you know would be a more immediate impact to uh relief at the pump it just keeps getting bogged down in one thing after another. And we've been, we've been bird dogging this for 15 months. The project is in good faith, but these little hiccups, they're just not. And, and we need to create some relief to the American people. And in doing so, I think we get better outcomes later on, even on, you know, on factors of the environment. Look what Utah did. We invested heavily in tier three. That wasn't easy. That was billions of dollars, but it was the right type of investment. And we need to, we need to be working on that. So you're saying Utah could be an example here. 
you talk about being an example on so many things. I, I do really try to, to create that narrative with my colleagues and across the board on, on what Utah does with fiscal, with, with fiscal responsibility, you know, everything. So. Congressman, this has been great. I appreciate you taking some time out of your afternoon to talk with us. Jeff, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You can check out Jeff's first conversation about the conflict with Congressman Moore on the February 25th episode of The Daily Buzz. Also this week, the Tribune stayed in Allender reported on new insights from recent U.S. Census data. From 2010 to 2020, Utah was the fastest growing state in the nation. But from mid-2020 to 2021, almost 40% of the state's population growth came from a single county, Utah County. Utah County ranked 10th in county numeric growth across the nation. It saw an increase of 21,843 residents, while Salt Lake County only saw 185 during that same time period. And from our religion desk, I really enjoyed reporter Tamara Kemsley's story this morning on the Heartlanders, a group that insists the Book of Mormon took place in the United States, even though scholars say much of that group's evidence has been disproved. You too can read that story at sltrib.com. And to round out the news, today is the last day for Utahns to update their political party affiliation before the upcoming primary elections. You can do so online at vote.utah.gov before 11.59 p.m. tonight or by submitting a political party affiliation change form to your county clerk by 5 p.m. You can also do this by mail with a postmark. That's all today for the Daily Buzz, but I'll be your host for the rest of the week. Huge thank you to the Tribune Shoel Cardenas for editing the Daily Buzz today, and a special shout out to the band The Pelicans from right here in Salt Lake City for our music.